Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rain Stop Play. As England secured a remarkable draw in the fourth Ashes Test, how excited should we be? Are these the green shoots of a new era for the Test team coming through, or did the rain save us from yet another embarrassing defeat? We will dissect what turned out to be an actually competitive game of cricket down under and look ahead to discuss whether England's walking wounded can force another result in Hobart. Meanwhile, for Australia, were they too conservative with their declaration? We'll have some declaration discourse. And will they dare drop Usman Khawaja for the final test? Elsewhere, Bangladesh make history on New Zealand soil. Ross Taylor bids farewell. Will Young hits a seven. And Shardell Tackle bowled really, really well. All that, our tweet of the week and Zach's question of the week all on this episode of Rain Stop Play. But before we get stuck into all of that and to talk about how great test cricket is, let's say hello to the panel. I'm going to start with Glenn. How are you, mate? Welcome. I'm good, thank you, mate. Will? What's going on? All good. Happy New Year, everyone. I think this is our first part of the New Year. It is. It is. Well, we'll come to Zach, who did the under-19 pod. Hello, Zach. Hello. Yeah. Uh, and we'll plug that as well while we're here. Uh, fantastic pods uh, with Ronan Alexander from Scouting Cricket and Zach talking us through the under-19 World Cup, which starts in a few days on the 14th. So go check that out if you want to preview that. Um, but as we said at the start, we're going to talk about the Ashes in, in the first part of this week's pod. Uh, the fourth test ended in a draw. It was a remarkable draw. Actually got to the fifth day. There was a bit of weather around. And it feels like a win for England, I think, quite depressingly. Uh, but let's come on to talk about it. Um, it was a brilliant final over. I'm going to start with Glenn because I think you were the only one awake to watch this. I was certainly fast asleep because I'd stayed up just till about 3.30 watching it from the other end as opposed to coming in from the morning. How about that last session with Steve Smith bowling and, and Jimmy Anderson facing? What what a way to end that test. A great result for England. And just talk us through that sort of last hour, I guess, Glenn. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I think a lot of people uh, back home with the time difference misjudged it, Dan. I think quite a few people I've been speaking to stayed up too late. and uh, <laughs> Wrong end of the stick, as it were. We just sort of covered it from the other side. Yeah, yeah. For people listening, I I was uh, pinging notifications into our into our Facebook group chat. Like, wake up! Like, it wasn't. It was actually you know relatively okay that last hour in uh, in England. But but no, it was just me and absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but everything that I think separates Test cricket not only from the other formats like T20 and ODIs, but from other sports really was uh, on display. Uh, I just couldn't quite believe it. So obviously, we it ebbed and flowed. I think I suffered suffered being the right part for right word for the most part through all of the cricket i because again it's still just about christmas break here so i've had very little else to do and once again we thought it really was going to be just another example of england folding uh we saw how poorly we did in the first innings with the bat and you know the fact that you know i'd say turned it around in the sense that we showed a bit of fight a bit of desire everything that we had been missing i think we'd agree with um from the from the other games was on display and the wickets kept falling at really important times, right? Um, Crawley, we'll talk about him. I thought he had an absolutely sensational innings. Um, obviously, he fell quite a bit earlier. Um, but you were, you were imagining, right, that for us to see this out, we'd need at least one of Root Stokes, maybe a fighting Butler innings. Obviously, that hasn't materialised and he's obviously gone home. But we thought at least one of the quote-unquote senior batsmen would have to be there towards the end. Um, and that didn't happen. You know, Bairstow was just superb. Um, and a lot of English players... As we all know, playing with injuries, um, you know, Butler, Besto, Stokes all going out to bat when I think a few of them probably had good grounds to actually <laughs> say, listen, I am injured here. But they all put their bodies on the line um, and went out there, trooped out there. And just watching it live was incredible because, again, wickets just kept falling. Leach, Jack Leach did 
superbly um, in that in that innings. He got his head down. He looked very secure. He was the kind of night watchman figure in a way that we've been expecting. I know he struggled with that role a little bit here and there. Obviously, it didn't work out earlier in the series. Um, but he saw off a stack of deliveries, picked up some nice runs on the way, can I say. A lovely leg glance for four that was just, yeah, Root would be proud of it. So he was in the right mindset. And then, you know, it gets to the final... 10 15 minutes and you're like well okay you know i think we're still for um for eight at that point and then steve smith comes on right this bloke doesn't bowl much uh in test cricket anymore manages to get his first wicket um in years manages to get leachy with a real peach um which which was great drama and because the light faded right we had as we all know we had it was spinners only for those last couple of overs i think that saved england we can get into the broader circumstances i think cummins etc would have seen off jimmy and broad but the fact of the matter was it was the spinners there were you know 10 11 everyone was round the bat and it was almost nonchalant the way that uh, broady and anderson just just kind of plodded out there got their bat down what i thought was uh, extraordinary from, from you know, i know it was getting late at the time i don't think there really was a half chance um between those two off, off the top of my head so they did a great job they were professional it was this very strange kind of um in between because obviously it was a dead rubber and there's been a couple of good articles on this it was a dead rubber but it was imbued with a lot of meaning just the way that it played out the fact that it went down as i said the last over of a five-day game. Like, tell me that isn't special. In an Ashes, I mean, I, I know it's a dead rubber, but it's still not a friendly. Australia want to win four 0 as much as anyone, and to see the boys, the tail enders, just just work so hard. I, it was it gave me a lot of hope. And there was not just the tail enders across the innings. You know, talking about Bairstow, Stokes, Crawley, there was quality across the innings. Market change from what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Great summary, Glenn. Thank you for that. As as the one man of the four of us who managed to well, not stay up, but to actually witness that, I was gutted when I woke up and I saw what happened and I saw scrolling through Twitter. I was basically doom scrolling, but like good, it was good news. But I was like, I didn't watch it. I was fuming. Um, I mentioned at the top there, my little intro about potential green shoots of this test side. Um, Zach, I'll come to you. Should we chat about these these green shoots potentially coming through? Obviously, Bearstow's hundred was fantastic. I don't know how you feel about him. I know how Glenn feels about him him but i'd like to hear what you think about him obviously crawley, uh, crawley rather um wonderful i think even his 18 was marvelous in the first innings if, if if one can have a good 18 um and then broad coming back are these the green shoots zach or is this just us playing normally again and, and respecting ourselves uh I, I hate to put a dampener on things but is, isn't crawley getting a lovely 18 what he's done throughout his test career followed by a lovely 77 so let's agree listen if he nicked off for a duck in the next one i think we're talking about it but i think the 18 was uh, the building block for the 77 perhaps agreed he looked he he looked quality in that in that 77 and i think he'll be really disappointed he didn't manage to go on and make a century it was the first time he's passed 50 since that you know mammoth 250 scored against pakistan which is is not great but you know it's it's what we, we thought he was going to be a good player you know for australia it was kind of always thought of as being that because you know his dad paid for him to go to perth when he was a kid or something so he's, oh you know, he's always he's always been able to go there and i saw i saw someone tweet you can't buy this talent off the back foot and then someone went oh, oh wait, wait you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah Besto, really good yeah battled well stokes back-to-back 50s maybe back to some sort of form listen to the tail enders this morning and jimmy I said did as well jimmy that was a really good pod we don't like to recommend other pods normally but i would recommend that one yeah it, it was really good and obviously jimmy said maybe this is what it could have been like if we'd have had you know two first class games before the series but i don't want it to be that positive england aren't good enough to oh come back. i thought we were going to be happy the this rain pod saved us the, the rain, rain did save us. us the rain did save us this would have gone wrong without it really um but, you know, England being OK plus rain equals draw. And I'll take that equation, quite frankly. Um, Will, what, what did you make of this test match as a whole? Sort of, I guess, as a neutral, um, finally seeing like a close test match again. I think Zach rightly said it wasn't close without the rain. But see a bit of fight from both sides. And there was, you know, it allowed England to throw a few punches back and a few words were exchanged. And it felt more like an Ashes test this. It did. And again, had I been awake to experience its, its climactic <laughs> moments, I would have greatly enjoyed it. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely right. Good that it's a bit more competitive. And, and I think good for the fifth test that England are going into it with at least some shreds of hope. On the big picture, I, I kind of lean towards Zach's side on this. I think 
if you're sort of what's your expression if you're if you're, if you're green shoots of, of, of optimism. yeah i feel like it's like march and you know yeah the frost isn't settling in the morning anymore and you know the daffodils they say they're the daffodils of, yeah. of the england team no not quite see i don't i wouldn't go that far i think if you'd got if you'd got like your crawley 70 77 and then 100 out of pope yeah. Or you've got you've got weirdly some wickets from Don Bess or somebody. Then you could say, okay, this is future generation. These are your, these are your optimisms for the future. This is just the test side that we knew was talented but inconsistent, having a one-off good performance as they should. <laughs> I don't think you can read too too much more into that without wishing to be harsh. Um, obviously, Bairstow's century was extraordinary and amazing and, and a great moment, a great emotional moment of the whole series. Um, my personal favourite moments were all the shithousery towards the end greatly enjoyed broad trying to give advice to anderson coming in and he was like me i have actually batted before <laughs> i know i know how this works just shows how little trust they have in anderson you, you got broad and then stokes they kept hands to stokes you thought well, they really don't back this guy do they he's got a thousand ish test runs probably a bit more than that from his many many games he can hold a bat and of course the general comedy of, which you just couldn't explain in any other sport of two bats batters being forced to bowl at two bowlers who are trying to bat for a draw uh, extraordinary all, all for all four of whom are uh, uh, perhaps history's best you know at, at their actual uh profession doing the other thing to the other people it's class only in cricket hey only in cricket um is it the same for you glenn do you reckon it's it's not green shoots it's just like the players we knew doing well i think bearstow coming back was pretty huge for me personally i don't want to do this as a dig against bearstow because i think i've been quite harsh on him since we started the podcast but this is a classic oh this gives him a bit more credit and he will be get dropped again in a few months. I just don't see this as a long-term thing, personally. Yeah, that's an interesting one on Bairstow. Um, uh, whether keeping is going to come into play is another question. I'm not sure if it will. That, that, that's what's always clouded his general career, I think. Is, is, he, is he a batter or is he a keeper? Do we want him as a keeper or as a batter? What does he want to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he got well, like he got over 150 runs um, across the two innings, which was superb. And not only that, I mean, the 41 um, in the second innings, the runs didn't matter, right? We were we were playing to to save the game. So the fact he stayed there for 105 balls, I think that was the second longest out of um, out of any batter in the team, I think. So I mean, he showed both sides of his game, right? In the first innings, he played some glorious attacking shots. He felt very, he looked very in nick. There was a great flow, ebb and flow to his game. And then he he managed to press the the button right in that second innings and just and just block and he was also you know a leader on the field for people coming in around him who who really weren't in nick and it was lovely to see him and stokes bat a lot together because they're obviously on their day both fully fit both in form both as we kind of touched on uh, a few minutes ago with a bit more um time batting australia before this series started i think it's a valid criticism i think it should have been a deal breaker in my opinion for this series there should have been games actually enforced um before before the series started to acclimatize and i know where there was an issue again but yeah it, it's an interesting one dan i i, I mean i'm not going to get carried away I, I i'm probably i very much am more in zach's you know slightly pessimistic camp because when all said and done what do we take we took 14 wickets um uh, across the across the two innings once again did, 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 did we get 300 runs uh this series no uh not a particularly high target i don't think that is and that's a pretty relatively a normal target in a, in a competitive test match of high quality so no am i getting carried away with the actual quality of the series of the of the of the broader uh connotations for the england team absolutely not i mean look at that top order yes crawley had a gorgeous flashy innings and i really enjoyed it um but again yeah, yeah as we said 80 in the first one you look at that top order i mean um hamid we can get into in a second i think he, he just seems a little bit out of his depth that's a pretty obvious observation milan's fallen off a bit of a cliff i will say it's very tricky to i feel like judge someone across a series because obviously he, his contributions at the start of the series were so substantial in a couple of 80s, I think, and he looked really good. But the previous two tests, which I think obviously four innings, he hasn't really looked in the game at all. And watching him a couple of days ago, he didn't really see Min Nick in the slightest. He, he looked a bit overwhelmed and just a bit a bit edgy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think he's suffering the most at the minute alongside Joss Butler's going home with, I think, general tour fatigue. I know his wife's heavily pregnant at the minute, and I think there's probably other things on his mind at the minute, and he's probably one. I don't think they will, but could definitely do with the rest and this tour being over pretty soon. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's somebody, I mean, well, Zach put it really nicely, looking to the future, right? Again, it's broad. 
getting the Pfeiffer in this test, right? This isn't this isn't particularly young guns, completely shiny. It's Bearstow, who is again, I, I've been an advocate for him across this pod in our, you know, best part of two years now. Um, because I think he's a great player across all formats. I do think he's been disrespected. I am delighted. I think of all the people to get a hundred, he probably would have been maybe one of the openers, but apart from that, he would have been my number one across this test. And he's been a good addition to the team. I think he's a great character. I think it was quite funny. We might we might touch on it a little bit, but but you know, the Aussies were heckling him as he was walking in from the pavilion and it that was that was quite a moment i think it's worth noting that the aussie fans were particularly i think vile some of them truly were across this test not only were they you know we all mind a bit we don't nobody minds a bit of banter from the boundary we've all been ashes series nobody minds that as long as it's you know, vaguely respectable um respectful but you know heckling someone as they're walking into the pavilion having batted really nicely i think throwing some stuff around about his weight and not only that which was disre- completely disrespectful to itself but the amount of times again watching this live the aussie fans were getting in the way of the sight screen it wasn't once or twice or three times it was a couple of times a session it was so disrespectful so how much, on the, how much time did that eat up do you reckon that might have cost their that team that is exactly what i was gonna say on the back of that in the context of that just a particularly obnoxious group of fans sad obviously not all of them but just a couple of them really stood out uh it was really nice to get that draw so i think the draw is satisfying but did we get enough wickets no did we get enough runs absolutely not did we win the game no so yeah it's a crumb of comfort but it will, I, it's definitely, as we've all said, were England celebrating at the, you know, the game? No, we weren't. We were just like shaking hands, you know, completely admiring the grit and determination of our tail enders. Superb. But it's not it's not a win. It's a very small step in the right direction, I think. Um, and that's about it. And I think that's all it can be. And that's about where we are as a country, I think. Just to illustrate that point perfectly, because Glenn mentioned the lack of wickets. Just taking a look at the, the series overall, so that obviously they've played four games now and England have bowled out Australia in two innings. And one of those was for 425. It always seems so, to happen down under. I don't know why. It's just they always just they pile them on. Which, which, given that after the first test, a lot of the narrative was about how bad the batting was and lots of people kind of defending the bowlers, especially after really giving a bit of stick after the second test. We, we kind of said on this pod, well, it's not really the bowlers' fault because the batters are getting, giving them anything to defend. We've now got a bigger sample size and it is also kind of the bowler's fault. Oh, I don't think it is, though. I think they've all bowled, like, not great. I think it, it's, they've had individual spells. But as, as, a, as a general thing, I think they've bowled quite well. Like, but they can't take amazing. 10 wickets down. I know, but, but Australia back quite well every now and again. And I'm like, you know, fair enough. But I, I, I want to see another team in Australia soon to compare this against. Because if it happens to other teams, I'm like, okay. That is Australia batting, but you're right, Will. Perhaps if uh, you know South Africa rock up or whoever it is soon and start bowling them out, we've, we've got a problem. But I think they've all bowled fine. Like Woods bowled amazingly for for not much return. I, I think it's a really good point, Will. And I think what we found maybe the one bowler of our of our attack who's fit, who is suited to Australian conditions, Mark Wood, Dan, as you've rightly said, has excelled. And, you know, the other people who we were, so, yeah, we've said this before, but people who we were, you know, your Ollie Stones, Joffrey Archers, other play, other players, um, English bowlers who are, you know, who you think will excel on these conditions simply weren't available for injury reasons. So I think it's a tricky one because Wood's success really underlines the absence of other players. But it's at the same time, will I agree, you still expect to get 10 wickets more often than twice in what eight innings. So, yes, our bowlers aren't suited to these conditions, you know, brought probably you know broad should have played more often clearly he's got a five for here i think this this again speaks to the real selection woes of england this series but at the end of the day wokes anderson uh i mean you look at some of the people who bowled you know your, your milan's of roots part-timers who, who were forced to come on even stokes who's worked really hard whose body simply isn't up for 20 overs and in innings that's not fair on him at all they're not all particularly suited to australian conditions so we've we've been lacking the consistency no you know leach hasn't had any trust or faith put in him which has really relegated him from what should be an attacking role to get wickets to a kind of neither here nor there he hasn't been set up to defend because there's so many gaps for singles so he hasn't been able to put on any pressure from the spinners role whereas obviously australia have got nathan lyon who they do trust who they do give decent fields to and then suddenly he pops up with a stack of really handy wickets so Congrats to Leach for getting the four. We can we mentioned that he could have got maybe five had uh, Cummins not quite cruelly uh, declared. Um, but that's all part of the game. I actually didn't think that was too bad personally. But yeah, it was good to see Leach get some wickets. But if you don't trust your bowlers in Australia, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed. Put it that way. On Jack Leach, 
I do think he, well, and stats back this up, he has gotten better throughout the series. Being kind of, the fields were better in this. I think his kind of, his his bowling and better better areas, I think I saw a stat like his percentage of balls in kind of like a good line and good length is double what it was in Brisbane. And that, you know, partly the best, like a field being better for him that's not, it's not too attacking. So it's just easy to, hit him out of the attack which is what they tried to do straight away when he wasn't you know in the series and now you know the, I don't know the confidence he's been able to kind of gain throughout the series and grow in the series like a few of the other players so you know again better but finger spinners don't do well in Australia Nathan Lyon is the outlier I don't think we we can't have expected Jack Leach to do that well here considering no one does well apart from this one guy Nathan Lyon who is amazing and you know it's partly because of the way he bowls with the kind of underspin he kind of puts on the ball to that means he gets it to bounce differently to the way other other finger spinners do but it's also just the skill and the nature of the fact he's grown up playing on these horrendous pitches for finger spin and that you know he's a fantastic player so I don't think I don't think we should you know be berating Leach too much because you know he's gotten better throughout the series and every other off spinner other than Nathan Lyon and, you know, Ashwin was decent, but Ashwin, again, world-class. We're talking, you know, two of the most successful off-spinners in Test Cricket's history here compared to, you know, Jack Leach, who's, he's all right. You know, I wasn't expecting him to tear any, any trees up. And and what Anderson said on the Talent's podcast, like the value of maybe two more first-class games before this, might be, might this be us talking in the second test and we're 1-0 down instead of 3-0? Um, we, do, we, have, we have completely forgot about Australia and one man, Usma Khawaja, who had the most unbelievable return to the test side, only come back in because of Travis, Head, Travis Head's positive COVID case or close contact, I can't remember which. Um, I know a lot of Aussies particularly are questioning why this guy hasn't been in the test team for longer. He's had quite a break. I think I saw that he's only the third player at the SCG to score but a 200s in a test and wow. for someone who you know he grew up in Sydney it was a really not actually nice post from David Warner you know saying that tentatively of kind of him because him and they both grew up playing at the Waverley Oval just just outside of Bondi or just in Bondi don't know Sydney geography is not amazing but both grew up playing there you know, and have grown up together and now they're playing for Australia and he's, you know, back in the side scoring runs and seems like such a nice bloke. Again, a really nice bloke. And, you know, he's been really consistent in the last, since getting dropped, because he last played in the Headingley Test and he's, you know, scored, you know, 1,500 runs at 45 in the Shield in those last kind of two and a half years since that. So he's been he has been banging the door down. It's what England don't have. We don't have players banging the door down, whereas Australia have had this guy who's kind of he's versatile. He could easily open in the next test, which I'm sure we'll come on to. And he's bats you know, he seems to have batted anywhere from one to seven and won the shield last year as Queensland captain. So I think if he had been in the side for the last two years, he could easily have been a captaincy candidate. Yeah, I agree, Zach. You put that really nicely. And Dan, I, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued to hear, you know, your guys' thoughts on just in the context of the series, who 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 should have made way? Because obviously he's come in for Head, but Head obviously got that absolutely massive score um, uh, very early on in the series. So, yes, the fact Kawaj is here and batting beautifully and getting these two, um, really, really great to watch these hundreds. Um, you're very patient, really good. Again, test cricket. This, this That's what I loved about this match. It had not only did they have a great finale, it had excellent moments of quality throughout it, like Kawaja broad, so many moments of real world-class cricket but yeah I mean how does he fit into this team if everyone else is fit like, you know down at whoever else fancies it like obviously I'm not saying get rid of him now it has to stay that speaks for itself but it feels a bit harsh on head to get rid of him that feels like that's probably what's going to happen right but that's you know he, he got a monster score just a couple of weeks ago how, we can't forget about that it's a wealth of riches they got at their disposal I'd say it should be Harris and you just promote Kawhi to opening, shouldn't it? Surely. I think that's just the most simple way of doing it because Harris is the one without the score. And uh, I don't know. I almost feel like if you didn't get that second hundred, they might have been able to say, listen, mate, you'll come back for the next one. It's the fact he got two hundreds. It's like that would be it, it's it's his six for seven from Boland, isn't it? That's his version of it. He's undroppable. Exactly. And my favourite part about all of this, we, we all kind of love Kawhi anyway, so quite lovely for him. 
he's only not in the 11 to begin with because he winds up Justin Langer. That's the only reason. So <laughs> it's not just scoring 100 against England. It's scoring 100 against the head coach. And now he can't be dropped. And I think that's, that's quite funny. I do like that. And on top of that, if he doesn't get picked and Marcus Harris does, we can really start the discourse of the fact that Marcus Harris grew up playing at the same cricket club that Justin Langer played for Ooh. in Perth. So that discourse... Let's start a, it, let's start a shit simmering. storm. Let's, let's start some beef yeah. within the Australia camp if it isn't there already. Um, we're looking ahead now. Should we talk a bit about England? Uh, they are the walking wounded. Uh, Butler is confirmed flying home with a broken finger. Uh, fair play to him for batting twice, by the way. Um, very impressive. And I think those 38 balls in the second t- uh, innings were, were very valuable. Um, and with that news, we're pretty much confirmed that Sam Billings is going to make a debut. He's had a 500-mile drive from somewhere. Again, my, my Australian drive is terrible. So it's a big place, don't you know? Uh, he's had a big drive um, and fair play to him. He'll be coming in. Um, he's not played a lot of first-class cricket. Um, average is 37. Um, and when he keeps wicket, that average drops to 29.5. That's a good stat. So good news for England. Um, I don't think this will be a long-term thing for Billings, but I think, because I, I hope and I think they'll give folks a run now. With, with Butler injured and having such a poor series. But if he has a good game here, he could definitely put himself in, in second place um, if we're presuming Bairstow's not going to have the gloves. And then you chuck in Ollie Pope, who had a, a quite wonderful game um, uh, as the reserve wicketkeeper in the second innings, taking two really good catches. Um, I, I hate the England, keep, uh, England wicketkeeping situation. I really do. It, it's a bit of a, a cluster at the minute. And I want to know what, what anybody thinks about how we can solve this. I really think we need a line in the sand this is our wicket keeper. Although this man can wicket keep, he's not going to wicket keep and he'll at five or six, whether that's Bearstow or Pope. You see where I'm going. So I kind of want to open that discussion up briefly. Can we just have one bloke average like 37, score oh, a couple yeah. of nice hundreds, mm. not drop any good chances? Matt Pryor. Can we have Matt Pryor back? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That would be easy. One consistent person. He doesn't need to pull up any trees. And to be fair, that person could be Ben Folks. It will be Ben Folks. Although, you know, his record in Test cricket after that kind of Sri Lanka tour was was really bad. So So not folks for you then. Okay. Will and Glenn, if Billings gets a good game, does he suddenly become our number one wicket keeper? Do you see them giving it Butler back? Are they gonna go offer it best though again? Who I know I think he likes that role. He's quite a leader in the team. I think he enjoys that. Uh, where, where do we go here? I really think this needs to be solved. And Billings, if anything, is going to confuse it a bit more. But I'm happy for him. I'm going to go ahead and say that in the absence of any glaring evidence to the contrary, things broadly will follow the trends that they're on. And and the current trend is that it will be total chaos. And we'll go, we'll, <laughs> we'll flutter between Bersto and Butler and Billings and whoever else is in the country. Do you want my prediction for the next kind of eight months? In yeah, I'd love, in English I'd love it. Keeping? Folks comes in for the West Indies series. So, you know, Billings does okay, but not well, not good enough. Yeah. He, he then makes a squad for the West Indies series. Folks does pretty poorly in the West Indies. Good with the gloves, but bad with the bat. You know, that's okay. the kind of standard that discourse starts again. Yeah. yeah. Then Bairstow takes it for the first test of the summer, <laughs> gets a pair. We go again. <laughs> we go again and it's just never ending isn't it i, I like I, I like that we'll, we'll, we'll remember that for um for the rest of uh, this calendar year at least uh listen good luck to billings and fair place even driving down he's been playing well for the thunder so you know he can hit a cricket ball um and I, w- I wish him all the best i think he's pretty good with the gloves as well um and then there's there's injury doubts over over bearstow and stokes bearstow has a broken thumb or finger and stokes we saw did that did that side strain now stokes not being able to bowl which that looks like almost a certainty means you lose the balance of this whole team so Glenn, I don't know what you think is going to happen here. Let's. I'm I'm in the mindset. I think Bearstone and Stokes can both bat still. I don't know how severe their injuries are. I feel like they might still both play. And all you got to do then is bring Billings in, right? Or am I being a bit too optimistic? And maybe we're going to have to see Pope. And maybe we give Dan Lawrence a game. He's been running around all, all summer, all Australian summer. Does he get a little go? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think you're being overly optimistic there, Dan. I. Uh... 
I mean, I probably wouldn't risk either of them just because, again, I know I know it's the final Ashes game, but it is still a dead rubber. If we're coming into this, it's tied at two-two, or if we, you know, if we, if it's you know two-one to the Aussies and we can get get a draw for the series, absolutely. Like, I'm not saying risk the players' health, but I'm saying make that assessment closer to the time. As it is, you know, with three nil down it's not even like three one like it was three nil down like i why you know and again i'm sure most people uh listening will have seen um bearstow's injury i it was a quicker one from cummins i mean they're all quick but right on the thumb like you know pushed it back i i think it's extraordinary that he carried on back not only did he carry on batting as as a you know a function as, as he, he stood out there he batted beautifully i think that was amazing and i think that really it really is noting just how well he did there stokes every four he hit he's clutching his sides you know like he's he's just stepped out of the I think ymca he, over here I, I, I think he bats better with it though i think he bats better with like his finger pointing the wrong way around or his ankle hanging off i think he just he's like got that mindset so yeah so our our, our strategy should be silverwood go then goes in with a hammer yeah and just, just 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 chips away at some of the he players like, um, have you guys seen the film misery i think they should misery all the ankles of the england batters and uh and go from there because like Bearstow and Stokes are those like gritty like oh bat whatever kind of guy There's, that's some optimism is but um g- give the Pope uh, give the case for, for Pope and, and Lawrence coming in that'll be a fun middle order yeah I'm, I'm gonna bang that Dan Lawrence drum again because I think he was quite good in the summer he was even better when he actually played at the MCG for the Lions in a game about two years ago now in the game that was meant to prepare the England Lions, who were going to be playing for England in two years' time, so they weren't too daunted. He scored 125 in that game. Sibley also scored a ton in that game. The only player to feature in the Ashes who played in that game is Zach Crawley. Sibley's got his feet up at home, but we've got a chance to see Dan Lawrence again. He scored, you know, I, I spoke about him on, I think, pod before last. I think he deserves his chance, was a little unlucky to be dropped when he was, but understandably at the time, I think Pope was ahead of him. But now, Yeah, that's fair. Know. And it's a chance to audition for a starting place on that West Indies tour. You'll presume he'll go as, as cover, but perhaps he could get himself a starting position there. Um, the last sort of position up for grabs, there's a lot of them again, but mostly injury. This one's more form, and it is unfortunately Hasib Hamid, um, whose series average is 10.14. Uh, it's the 10th worst in test history among opening batters to have played at least seven innings in a series and the lowest ever by an England opener in an Ashes series. Now, I think that came out after after his first knock and then he got nine. So I imagine it crept down a tiny little bit. Um, Will, it's an untenable place. I think he has to be taken out of the firing line. But Graham Thorpe a few weeks ago said that Rory Burns' technique isn't ready for test cricket. He needs to go away and look at that. So do they, A, take Hamid out? for the firing line and go listen mate sorry about that you're not quite ready yet and bring Burns back in who they said is not technically okay anymore or do they just stick at it and give Hamid two more fever dream of an innings as, as I saw it described this week this is really sad but it's, <laughs> it's the saddest part of this whole chat isn't it but it's over he's um yeah he's he's done at least for the time being part of the reason that we said on the previous pod and we were thinking about our our opening predictions um or even two pods ago now, I said, Crawley in, bring Hamid out, because this is only going to get worse from here in Australia. The longer he stays, the worse it gets. And if you want him to have a career post-Ashes, let him go home and chill and work on his technique a bit more. There's a great piece in in, in Wisdom this week saying broadly the same kind of thing, which points out that, as Zach said, unlike Kawaja, no one's been knocking down the door. He went back to county cricket, got himself back in a bit of form, scored 300s, but two of which were in the same game. So it wasn't exactly a sustained run of form that you had huge expectation that it would come in and be a success. It was more of wishful thinking, something that we all wanted to see happen. He was walking past the door as opposed to bashing it down. Like the ring doorbell picked him up as he walked by because it's a little bit close to the street for the sensor. He wasn't bashing it down, um, asking if, if anybody's in. It's, I, I feel like it's just classic England, you know, doing the right thing the wrong way. I think it was the mm. right decision to bring Crawley in, but they dropped the wrong opener. I, 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 I'm not saying, you know, Burns has set the world alight by any means, but I mean, it, it, it is worth noting, and this is the last six innings of um, Hamid, six, zero, zero, seven, six, nine. Not even a 10. Stop, don't say it. <laughs> not, even a, not even a 10. I mean, it, even, it has been that bad, hasn't it? It has and, just been uh, that bad. 
And what's worse, again, you know, watching most, unfortunately, most of this uh, entire series live um, for my sins, he not only their low scores, which, you know, they, they do speak for themselves, but he has just looked at sixes and sevens. He has a look of just pure fear in his eyes. Like he just like, rabbit in the headlights. He doesn't look confident. The second he 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 gets up there, you know, you you think, well, it's a matter of time. And I know I I, I can I've, I've said many times how much I dislike the Aussie comms, but I think they're right in saying when and pretty much all comms have said this. You know, he is just waiting to get out. He doesn't have many attacking shots. He's played a nice square cut a couple of times, which I really admire. That was one of his like four scoring shots in the last year. But um. <laughs> uh, but it's just something. He's just he's literally there's there's no intent. There's no like. Uh, you know, kind of clarity in the innings. He's just he's just kind of holding out, waiting to get a good ball that gets him. And a few of them have been good, and a few of them, I mean, that that drive to get bold was just amateur. That was, was that horrible. was that was a Sunday shot. That truly yeah. was. And I'm again, I'm not he's not the biggest like, the the only problem in this England team and the other openers across the last year have not done well. But yeah, I mean, just to see Crawley, I know it's one innings. I'm not getting overly excited about him. Honestly, I'm not. But the difference in confidence and just and just, even stylistically, he was just a world away. Um, and again, even he got double figures in the in, in the innings before in the first innings. Even he, you know, it's not a great score of 17, but he already overtook um, Hamid in that sense. And yeah, you know, if Jack Leach is outscoring you uh, game after game, I think it's probably time to take a breather. And when he was recalled for in the India series at home, he played OK. He played fine. A couple of good knocks. He, he'd get himself to 60 and then all of a sudden he'd go in his bunker, not score for 30 balls and get out. And that was a bit of a red flag for a few commentators, I think, at least at the time, thinking a bit strange. Where is this going to go? And I think I think we've seen seen where that's going. Uh, so yeah, a lot to look forward to. A lot of changes probably for England um, ahead of the next. Let's look forward to see what Australia are going to do with Kawaja. That's probably their only selection issue. Maybe Jai Richardson comes back in. Do you give a rest to some of the bowlers? Boland again doing fantastically well. Good for him. Give him another test. You know, we're not sure how many he's ever going to get. So give him one more. Get that average even lower for him. Um, but that'll do for the first part of this week's pod. Uh, when we come back, we'll go around the grounds and talk about all the other test cricket going on in the minute. Okay, welcome back. Uh, second part of this pod, we're going around the grounds. That's what we're going to call it now, around the grounds. I feel like I feel like Jeff Stelling uh, for those who live in the UK. Um, the first test match, let's start with India-South Africa. Uh, South Africa won that second test match. Uh, a great chase in the fourth innings. Great knock by Dean Elgar. Um, that test series is 1-1. Uh, the third and final test will start at Cape Town in a few days. Very exciting series. I love watching cricket in South Africa. Will, talk us through this test match, uh, the second one especially. Uh, we, we haven't spoken about the first one actually yet, but we'll ignore that. Uh, Charlotte Tackle bowled really, really well, didn't he, despite this India loss. Uh, what have you made of the tour so far? I think it's a really interesting tour. So three test matches, India obviously won the first, South Africa now win the second. So we're going to go into a, a must-win third test in Cape Town, which is really interesting because it, India have never won in Cape Town and they've, they've never won a series in South Africa, which I sort of hadn't even realised in my head until until this series came along. Also, interestingly, haven't hadn't ever lost a test at where the last test was until this test, which is just a really weird combination of stats. Great fact. I hadn't I, that one missed me by completely. So it's got this kind of nice and 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 slightly kind of contextual atmosphere as a series. Um, but the other interesting thing about it, which this match really really exposed, is that even though India have had an extremely successful Test year, the batting consistently actually hasn't been great. <laughs> Obviously, lots of people have spoken about Pajara and Rahane struggling. Kohli hasn't scored a century all year, so that middle order as a whole hasn't done particularly well. Pant hasn't done great since the Australia series, which was a year ago at this point. So they've not really been getting better than past scores at all, but they've been carried by an extremely effective bowling unit, probably, well, definitely the best set of fast bowlers that India has ever had. And that's been pushing them to victories. And that's the thing that's ran out in this test match. Um, and in that sense, it's it's sort of a return to what should be the average because you can't get by that long without putting up great scores. Um, in this particular game, yeah, as you said, Shardle was the one who turned up um, got seven wickets in the first innings, played a very fluent 28, which is, again, one of those classic Zach Crawley sentences. But it was very entertaining and put on <laughs> what looked like much needed runs. Um, India just about got to two, uh, 240 lead, mainly thanks to Vihari batting with the tail. And we'll come on him later because he's probably going to get dropped for Kohli to come back in. Um, 
which at the time looked kind of fine. I thought 240 lead, that's all right. And then the bowling's ran out in the second innings for South Africa. Um, we have to say absolutely amazing performance by by Dean Elgar. Proper, proper captain's innings. Proper opener as well, Dean Elgar. Nuggety digs in. I just love watching him play. Yeah, he, he really he really battled for it as well. He got hit a few times and he, he looked like he kind of he kind of enjoyed it. Bit, kind of bit, bit took masochistic, it in, yeah. isn't he? A bit like, yeah. yeah, go on then, hit me again. Yeah, really. That's, well, not that keen, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, really good performance from South Africa. It is worth noting, I do think um, the pitch definitely flattened out. First couple of days, it was, I think on Crickviz's pitch viz, it was being ranked as what, like the 10th like hardest pitch to bat on for variable bounce and just the way it was, you know, bouncing and kind of just speeding up off the pitch or looking like it's speeding up off the pitch. And then it did flatten out in that on that kind of fourth day. And that's how they managed to get to... To a 240 lead and it did look it looked good like you said well it looked enough one thing I really liked in this game was Kale Rahul's captaincy don't know why vibes couldn't tell you one review he got right or wrong it but passed the captaincy vibes. I tested it for you Zach what, what did it you think Will good. absolutely the same and we said this before the test when they put out on Twitter that Kale Rahul was going to captain and Bumrah was going to be vice captain and they both had little smiley photos and we thought that is exquisitely good vibes That's- <laughs> That's a lot better than than Kohli or even than like Rahane and then Pajara vice captaining, which is getting a bit sad. Um, so I think it's nice that they've moved on the gauntlet a little bit. Um, and there's lots of cap- chaos with the Indian captaincy that I'm sure we'll have cause to talk about some of the time because it's it's becoming a little bit of a feud <laughs> between the BCCI setup and and Vera. Ooh, we like that. We've already started the beef in the Australia camp, obviously between Kawaja and Langer and Harris and Co. So let's let's keep it on India. A uh, couple of questions from me on this tour is where is Shreyas Iyer? Uh, obviously had that great Test match against New Zealand at home. Has he travelled for this? Is he? Because I thought when we when we lost Kohli, I thought that he could come in for him. I'm surprised he's not even ahead of someone like Rahane and Pujara. You can chat about their careers, Will. Where is he in this setup, and do we see him coming in again soon? So here's the problem. We we were so close to having a completely different conversation on this podcast because there was a moment about halfway through this test match. Um, India second innings, top order fell apart quite quickly. Rahane and Pujara came in with something like 40, 50 runs on the board, and I think I put in our group chat like this. This is a this is a really key moment for that partnership because if this doesn't work now, I'm pretty sure at least one of them goes and Ira's in for the next match. It was amazing. And, it, was, it was for both of them though. Both of their careers were on the line pretty much. It was it was quite poetic actually what happened. I liked it. It was, and then really annoyingly they put on 111. <laughs> it was the oh, only so you, good. You'd rather see like Pujara have nicked off early. Let's bin well, him off. Let's get the new kid on the block in. At some point, there is going to be a changing of the guard in that department. As I said, the, the Indian middle order hasn't worked for the best part of a year at this point, really, in terms of any of them having standout performances. And as you said, Aya came in, immediately scored 100 and is gone again. Um, so he's at some point over the next year or two, it will probably become Surya Kumar, Aya and Pant in those middle order positions. Um, it's just a question of when that takes place and, and how we can very nicely shuffle Rahane and Pajara out of the team it's one of the things that we never do we never do this in sport very well that we always want careers to end in failure which I think is a bit sad like find a way for them to just retire from the test team and have a last final match and that's that we've got to follow the American model that when when a when a famous quarterback's about to go they give them the best send-off and they always somehow get in the playoffs and they're always on prime time and they always go they have a big ceremony and stuff like it's the same with us and brought England and brought Anderson like we're trying to gracefully sort of send them off to the the farm upstate aren't we at the minute i think will wants like a house of lords for old retired international <laughs> cricketers <laughs> that's the bcci that's that, that's that the corruption court at the supreme court of india <laughs> well that test match starts today no less so enjoy that uh, it's on sky sports for those of you in the uk i don't know where else because i don't live there uh new zealand versus bangladesh let's talk about the first test Firstly, we have to. There is a test going on as we speak, the second test. Um, Bangladesh won in New Zealand, period, for the first time ever. It was a test match. It was a wonderful test match. Um, I think we all caught a little bit of it and got and got to enjoy it. Uh, I'm just going to read out what, what happened when they won. So that was Bangladesh's first win versus New Zealand in New Zealand in all formats. Their first test win over New Zealand on the 16th attempt. Their first test win over a top five ranked side away from home. Their sixth win away from home in 61 tests. Uh, They broke New Zealand's eight series winning streak at home. 
uh, that started in 27, uh, 2017, excuse me, and it ended New Zealand's 17 match unbeaten run in home tests. It was historic. It was amazing. It had it had everything words on it, boys. It, it was wonderful, wasn't it? And I think um, Hussein, the captain, was he the captain now? It, that that interview at the end was, was fantastic and sort of captured the whole essence of this game for me. Not the captain, but the, he was the he took a six foot in the in, in the innings, and he's the 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 ex army or navy, yes. and just you know, great story about great story from him, and yeah, brilliantly bold, and they just outplayed New Zealand across five days. New Zealand looked like they were cruising early on; they were you know two hundred and eighty odd after the first day, and then they just you know, New Zealand collapsed and Bangladesh took the wickets and then, you know, and then Bangladesh scored more runs than them. It looked like a really flat pitch. It didn't look like it was a results wicket. And it looked like Bangladesh were going to, were going to get a draw and that was going to be kind of what they, what they were going to get. The New Zealand commentators were quite funny throughout. Brendan McCullum was so pro New Zealand, but obviously because it's New Zealand, not Australia, it just seems nicer. Don't know what yeah, it is. That's so true. But yeah, he said, I remember, I think it was, Day two was day must have been day three. Bangladesh were I don't know two fifty odd for not very many for about four I think it was and he was saying New Zealand will be batting again by T. New Zealand didn't bat again until the next day. And Bangladesh <laughs> knocked up another you know two hundred runs. You know they just played brilliantly. Didn't no one got a century in that innings, but everyone contributed. I saw that it was quite funny. That was that's a team effort if I've ever seen one. Uh, Glenn, you watch a lot of this, and you, you, did you did you enjoy this? I mean, it was just joyous to see them run through it. It did also include the worst review in Test history, when I think Ross Taylor middled one, but we'll let them off that because they won. Yeah, again, you know, we're talking about um, the joys of of Test cricket. I will say, you know, despite you know England's um, England's failure, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I feel like we as a pod have been really energizing this week by three concurrent excellent test matches. Really interesting matchups here. Um again, I, I just think it's it's the best format. There's nothing like it. And yeah, for Bangladesh, I mean Dan, you you've ran through it really beautifully to be honest. You know, the record's tumbling. Uh historic win for them. Uh and they did it. They actually did, just for, for one you know somewhat lazy comparison with England. They bowled New Zealand out twice and they put on a stack of runs. Everything that we failed to do down under, they've done playing away from home uh which i think is um fascinating and yeah it's a mammoth score i'm glad you both mentioned i i wonder again you know throwing impossible to find stats at zach because it's his job i wonder how many times <laughs> a team has scored over 450 and not been a centurion in there and that's really interesting oh yeah um, i like that i like that maybe once or twice but um yeah they all they all chipped in and uh, can i say this you know watching the final session i think it's the afternoon um afternoon here they made it look easy i was i was putting in the chat i was trying to drum up just a little bit of drama because i know they're only chasing 40 odd um if if even that but you know a couple of wickets fell you know again this is a really good news really good new zealand attack one of the best in the world in home conditions which we'll get onto in about two minutes um but i was wondering i was wondering is there any chance a one in a million that the, the bangladesh can maybe choke a little bit or at least it goes down to the middle no they made it look easy you know they won by eight wickets this wasn't a win by 10 runs or two three wickets they absolutely dominated new zealand uh on their own home turf and it's a shame that our excitement has to be somewhat paired back by the catastrophe of the last 48 hours which we could move on to if you i've, I've sat through a bit of that yesterday well pretty i actually watched the whole day yesterday it was really interesting immensely depressing but um <laughs> again the duality of, of bangladesh <laughs> we have the great we have the bad Brilliant. The duality of Bangladesh. I love that. Um, for listeners, the test match is currently going on. Uh, New Zealand part of the runs in the first innings, 521 for six declared. And then Bangladesh bowled out for 126 yesterday. So, I mean, poor guys. Maybe they celebrated too hard. I don't know. But crashing back down to earth. Maybe they pissed off New Zealand a bit too much. You know, it's not going well for you when you do a guard of honour for the guy who's retiring in their first innings because they're probably not going to have to bat again. <laughs> yeah, I you thought know? that. I thought that. I thought firstly, I thought that's been them being very polite. Good, good for them. Now I'm like, they knew they knew this was coming. I think we should just agree not to talk about the Bangladesh innings. Leave it on the positivity. 
yeah, I, I agree to, to an extent. Well, it, it was so atrocious. They were, sorry, I've got to say it. They were <laughs> 11 for four, 27 for five. But I think the way we can frame this, we've had an immense um, success, you know, historic win in the first test. Let's look at it through a more positive lens and look at how good um, New Zealand were. You know, uh, Latham opening up. He's, he's A lot of these New Zealand players uh, are some of the best at test cricket in the world, consistently excellent. And we just don't talk about them because they're, there's no, there's very few egos, as we talked about before on here. They just get the job done. I mean, two players stand out from that innings. Uh, Latham, 252, and he was only hitting out. He could have, if, if there was, you know, a reason to keep batting. He, he only got out caught in the deep after two sixes in a row, I think. Uh, Young got a 50. Conway, um, who's doing absolutely fantastically um, at the minute. He is playing beautiful test cricket. He, he looks very much in his element. Really nice after, you know, the disaster in the in the T20 World Cup. It's great to see him come back into the team um, after he injured himself, getting annoyed, broke his hand, missed, I think, the final. This is fantastic to see a player who Zach and I, as Somerset fans, really admire. One of my favourite players in the game. He's doing really nicely, and he was only run out. Uh, so, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And there was one wicket on the first day, which was a real gruelling effort, I felt, for the, for the Bangladesh bowlers. But New Zealand put them to the sword. And to keep it positive, New Zealand's strength, Trent Bolt, I mean, there's very few in the game as consistent as him. He got a fifer with uh, that we actually got the last wicket of the innings. He looked absolutely lethal. A couple of deliveries for him. You know those those balls from Quicks that jag in so much they they're too good to get someone out. They beat bat pad and the stumps. He did that a couple of times. And congratulations to him for 300 Test wickets, uh, monumental achievement, and one of the modern greats. I think he is integral to this New Zealand team. And once again, this is a likable team. They're really enjoyable to watch. They play great cricket and they're very unassuming. Again, you know, especially the batters, the quiet personalities, but they do the talking on the field, which I think the Aussies could uh, learn a lot from. A couple of quick stats points on this. 252 is the first time anyone's actually ever made that score. Obs- obsessed with that. I follow. I don't know if you follow Scoregami in the States, but there's this Twitter account that basically works out if an NFL score has ever been done before. And there's thousands of unique possibilities. And I think I, I only support Scoregami now in NFL. So I didn't realise this was a thing for cricket. And I'm now going to keep much more of an eye on it. Do you know what the next, do you know what like, the next lowest is, Zach? I'm guessing everything between zero and a hundred has been scored, right? That's that's an obvious one, surely. I think it's 265 because I saw the stat that someone else had. It may even have been Latham has previously scored a 264, and coincidentally, that's the only other time that did. that's happened. He did. You're, you're spot on. You're spot on. That's fascinating. So keep out. Keep an eye out for that one. Just on on Latham quickly. I think I was watching the, the bit of the first match I saw. The commentators were talking about how. He struggles with the bat as, as the captain. Obviously, he's captaining in, in place of Williamson at the minute. I think he averaged about 18, uh, where he's averaged about 40 without the captaincy. So this will help that case a lot because he's probably next in line when, when Williamson calls it a day, either in cricket or, or as the captain. Yeah, and, and going back to one of mine, mine and Glenn's favourite players, he's making it look very easy as Devon Conway, averaging 69 and across his five tests so far. The only player in test cricket history to average more than that, who's played more than five games, is the one and only Don Bradman. So, you know, that's the kind of company he's keeping. That is a nice name to have banded around next to yours, isn't it? Um, we presume New Zealand will win that one and the test will be... Uh, it's a two-match series, right? So that'll finish uh, That'll finish 1-1 and I'm sure they'll play a bit of white ball stuff after that. Bangladesh getting a lot of airtime with the pod at the minute, good and bad, so good for them. Um, this is a really fun, uh, really fun series. Uh, one final bit of around the grounds to go and look at uh, is the West Indies versus Ireland. They're playing a one-day series. Ireland lost by 24 runs. They started really well in this. West Indies are struggling. Uh, Shamar Brooks hit 93-89 on his ODI debut, sharing a stand of 155 with captain Kieran Pollard, who I did not know was captain of this side, but is. That's interesting. Uh, Balburnie made 71, Texas 53 for Ireland, kept it competitive until they lost a few wickets. Final bit of around the ground stuff. Obviously, the BBL is occurring at the minute in Australia. Um, Zach, talk us through this one. Uh, a young lad's bowling very quick out there at the minute. So, young Mohamed Hasnain, uh, playing for Sydney Thunder, who are doing really well, bowled a 96-mile-an-hour ball on Saturday, and it's not the first time he's done it. Balling 2,000. He played in the... He was the guy who, in the third T20I in England... Bad at 11 didn't bowl so he's clearly made some progress since then 
And, you know, he's quite a good cricketer, even though he bats 11 and doesn't bowl, which, you know, they're usually not very good cricketers. Oh, bless him. Well, yeah, obviously coming on in the world, that's good. Uh, on Daniel Sam's watch, which we're always on here at Rain Stop Play, um, we, yeah, we slated him when he played for Delhi a few years ago. We didn't quite get who he was. Uh, however, he scored 98 of 44 uh, in the... Uh, I don't know who he plays for, actually. Zach, who does he play for? Thunder as well. Thunder. He's a Thunder guy. They must be doing all right. A uh, handy knock from him. So well done. Uh, and that will do the Around the Grounds of this week. Before we leave you a couple of bits, let's do Tweet of the Week. Will, do you want to look after this? This is... I saw this and I thought, immediately thought drama. And when you hear Indian cricket and drama, you know it's good. So uh, kick us off with this. Yeah, well, we thought we'd throw in Tweet of the Week to the format this year as a, as a bit of fun, a bit of levity. But but no, we're starting on drama. Mm, of course. Um, so there's a... Which, this has slightly passed me by, but we will be covering it more in the next couple of months. There's a 50 over Women's World Cup in about two months, kicking off in March. Um, and the India team decided to announce their squad and 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 just without any explanation, left out three of their most senior players, um, including people we'll probably have heard of, uh, Jamima Rodriguez, uh, Poonam Rot, who also played in the 100, um, and one of their senior fast bowlers as well, who who she was a runner up for Tweet of the Week. She just tweeted a heartbreak emoji. <laughs> Um, but Poonam did a bit more. She did a sort of notes app style dramatic statement. You, you know it's good with the notes apps out. With this sort of garish pink background for some reason, but but we like it. Uh, basically listing all of her stats for this year. She averaged 73.75, <laughs> which is fair enough. Um, and saying this is why she should have been in the team. She was like, I'm extremely disappointed not being part of the World Cup squad. I scored 295 runs, which included 100 and half centuries in the six ODI games I played, which is pretty, pretty good. Um, and she's an opener, which this India team doesn't particularly have a backup opener at this point. So she could easily have been in the squad, even if she wasn't going to be in the 11. Um, I just enjoy that, you know, there's no sort of press spin with this one. There's no like, no. oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not in the squad, but best wishes to the team. She's like, no, I should be in there. I'm better she, than these girls. She came with all the receipts and said, this is what I did and I can do. And you've not done that. for me. It was like, I don't know if you saw Ronaldo's Instagram where he, sort of end of year post, he said, tough year for everyone despite my 47 goals in all competitions and it was just a really weird caption and and this felt like that it felt like i love how specific that is good for you it's a bit of a shamble she didn't get picked really uh but as will said we'll, we'll we'll be previewing uh the women's world cup coming up in march uh final final thing their new feature for new year i'm excited for this coming up at the end of every rain stop pod episode it's a quiz question from zach who is our stats guy who has all the facts he's sitting on a big part of them and we're going to do a question at the end of each pod. We won't give the answer till next week. And that's, you know, that's how we keep you in. Don't Google it. That's not the point. That's no fun, is it? We will we will guess. Me, Will, and Glenn will guess now. And the answer will come at the end of next week's episode. So, Zach, what have you got for us this week? Luckily, I don't think you actually could Google the answer to this question. That's good. That's how we, that's how we like them. That makes them even better. Also makes it worrying. Is this going to be tough? No, I, I think you could guess it. So, okay. Marco Janssen. Uh, young South African quick bowler who's really tall. He has the fourth highest average release position of any pace bowler who is currently playing test cricket. Can you name the three men who have a higher average release position than him? Oh, she banned a few names around, boys. I think off the top of my head there is Kyle Jameson because he's a tall, he's a tall fella. Definitely. I don't know how long his arms yeah. are. He might have tiny arms for all I know. <laughs> That's the thing. We got to think of like it could be a small guy with like a massive arm. Sam Curran. <laughs> uh, Nokia for South Africa? Yeah, that that's what I was thinking. That's a good shout. He's a big lad. Maybe Rabada as well. Um, is this men's international cricket, Zach? Or is, it, is this... They, they're international players, yeah? Yeah, international players. Okay, three international men with a high release point than Marco Janssen. We will leave you with that this week. I think me and the boys will go and ponder as well who that might be. The answer will come in next week's pod. Um, thank you very much for listening. It's a slightly different format this time around. We'll be sticking to sort of half main topic, half rest of the cricket world with a few features at the end. Every podcast will now be dropping on Tuesday morning if you live in the UK, GMT, BST, whatever time of the year it is. And then we will do other special pods in the week if something arises. But we'll be here every Tuesday morning if you live in the UK for the rest of the year. That sounds exciting, doesn't it, boys? Uh, so for now, Zach, Glenn, Will, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the final lashes test. Enjoy New Zealand, Bangladesh. Enjoy South Africa, India. Enjoy the great cricket. And we will see you next week. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.